Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick, and Eddie Wilson is not here, because based on that silence. But before we get into the rigmarole of introducing our special guest co-host and one of my mentors in graphic design, Chip Kid, we want to tell you at home how you can get a hold of us on social media. Well, we're going to wrap that up really fast. Just look in the description for this episode. You can find all of that in there. Chip, how are you today? I'm all right. So, I know you're known for your work involving the Distinguished Competition, mm-hmm. but, and on the topic of the Distinguished Competition, we are actually here at the Society of Illustrators, and you have a very special exhibit going on involving the caped crusader himself, Batman. Yes. And, and how long is this exhibit going to be running for, exactly? Um, well, first of all, let me just uh, clarify for your listeners, the Society of Illustrators is this wonderful sort of New York institution that's been around since the 20s, and it's literally self-descriptive. Um, and one of the founders was Norman Rockwell, and there's an amazing Norman Rockwell here at the, the on permanent display above the bar. And we're at 63rd Street in Manhattan, just off of Lexington, just uh, just just west of Lexington Avenue on the south side of the street. So. I encourage all your listeners to come and check this place out. Um, and before, the, there's currently a Batman show uh, marking the 80th anniversary of the first appearance of the character. And that will be running through October 12 of 2019. Um, so it will be up through New York Comic Con. And we're hoping to, you know, that people will take advantage of that. Um, it's just a truly extraordinary collection of stuff. There's so many different things that I got to see. I got to see the work of Kelly Jones, Neil Adams, Alex Ross, all these guys, and just phenomenal content on display. And one of the things that caught my eye was your Batman black and white covers collection. Right. And the, there was one that really struck me that, wow, he got him. You got Tony Millionaire. <laughs> known for, you know, Makey's and stuff like that, and Drinky Crow, and when I saw that, I'm just like, damn, he really did get everyone. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, as you may or may not know, um, I've done two Batman stories with Tony. I did not know that, actually. Yeah. So, um, for Bizarro Comics Volume 1 and Bizarro Comics Volume 2, um, so, you know, check those out. Check those out. And also, the the Batman black and white covers that are on display here at the Society of Illustrators at 63rd Street and Lexington Avenue in Manhattan. Um, I I think, I forget how many is there, like maybe 20, 25. 
I have I'm up to about 125 of them. It's truly it's truly extraordinary. And you st- the display starts with your Frank Miller and yeah. you got two Steve Rudes in there and yes. Steve Rude is like one of the most underrated comic artists of all time. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Nex- he's, um, he's just so good. Nexus is like a low-key masterpiece that not many people talk about, but they should. And he's got like a a style. It's almost like a mis- a mishmash of Alex Ross, you know, with his use of coloring and Who shading. is a huge fan, by the way. Oh, in, yeah. In case you don't know. Oh, my God. They're friends. And there's also a mashing of Bruce Timm. It's kind of like, you know, they're an amalgam. And no, I'm not talking about 1996 DC and Marvel teaming up. Although this is almost kind of like an amalgam, away, you know. We're like Lobo the Duck, but, eh, I digress. Well, Which, there's, there's, I just, it's really, uh, again, we're talking about Steve Root. Just real classic, what do I want to say? Like, he's just, just classic drawing, um... There's just enough line work going on, but it's also streamlined. There's definitely an Alex Toth thing going on there, I, I think. I can see that. Um, anyway, yeah, I, he's, he's great. He's one of my favorites, and I've had the opportunity to meet him. I believe it was at East Coast Comic Con 2016 in Secaucus, New Jersey, and he, he was such a very friendly man to talk to every single person that was at the show. And as, you know, not just, you know, in a, a person who appreciates this stuff, but as a fan in general, it's cool to see those interactions and how they react to the fans, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Now, definitely. And also, Rude, if you've ever seen his Battle of the Atom with the X-Men, is some gorgeous-looking stuff. He, like, sneaks in Mulder and Scully from the X-Files and Agent Cooper from Twin Peaks. When was that? This was 1999. Oh, my God. I totally missed it. it, it totally like, missed it. It fell under the radar, but it's, like, one of those stories that... Um, it's on Marvel Unlimited if you want to check it out. It's, it's like, a retelling of the original black and yellow x-men so it's those is it a is it a mini series or a one-off or? a six issue mini wow and i have to check that out it's on there and, and who wrote it i believe it was rude i uh, don't quote me on that and then twitter proceeds to quote me on that probably but it's one of those that not many people know about it's funny it's really good i like the art i love the storytelling and it's just fun wow and I always find it I find it interesting that there are so many people out there that they do retellings of the original characters of the Marvel Universe, like 1961 to maybe 1966, give or take. It's like the core groups. And you're one of those people. I've wanted to see you write for Marvel. And it's long overdue. You have got your foot in the door with Marvelocity with Alex Ross, which is available in bookstores, I believe, worldwide. Yes. Um, you know... Uh we were sort of talking about this on the phone the other day. I, I'm the worst person at pitching stuff to, to anybody really. Um, in fact, even with Marvelocity, like Alex pitched that to me, um, and to which I said yes immediately. But um, yeah, I, I'm a sort of wait to be asked kind of guy. But if you know, if I got an email tomorrow from an editor at Marvel saying, "Hey, do you want to write something for us?" I would say yes. Death, like your writing is very good. Like Death by De- Death by Design is such an underrated Batman book. Well, thanks. And I remember picking that up, and I actually got to meet you for the second time after uh, I met you at SUNY Oswego when you spoke for the Learners. Which also, by the way, check that book out and the preceding book, The Cheese Monkeys. Highly recommended on my end. They, 
I was checking out Death by Design. I met you at New York Comic Con that second time, and I actually had a really awkward moment. It was delightful. With um, I was talking to you about how I'm a graphic designer, and I just go, and then I stop myself and I go, I mean graphic designers like us, and I died a little on the inside for the way I said it. I was like, oh. Oh, Peter. Why? What, I don't know. Like you're the rock what's star. What's wrong with that? I'm I'm the jabroni. I'm like the young, I'm the young buck and whatnot. I'm like eh. the jabroni. I don't even know what that is, and I'm half Italian. It's all good. But the uh, like when I met you, and I also saw you. You were seated right next to Hulk Hogan at the uh, autograph alley. I'm like you're kidding. You I were, was. Yeah, you were. You were. I was like Chip Kid, the Hulkster. Huh. Yeah. This. I want. What year was that? It was I think 2013 or 14. At New York Comic Con. Yeah, you were in wow. the uh, autograph section, and like when I saw you were on the list, I how ran. did I not know that? Because I would have, uh, I would have wanted to meet him. Yeah, he was there, and wow, that was, yeah. So, but like I remember just seeing that lineup, and I'm like, okay, cool. But I had you sign my copy of uh, Death by Design, and it's such a solid book. I don't know if it's on the DC Universe app though. Because I think they like they tend to stick to like individual issues, but like this was a one-done graphic novel. Yeah, um, that grew out of uh, an interview I did on stage at the 92nd Street Y with Neil Gaiman. Wow. Um, on it was one of the anniversaries of Sandman. I think the 25th, maybe. Um, which again they asked me to do it and Neil's a friend and I was thrilled to do it um, but we were on stage and we were you know talking about a lot of things and geeking, and then geeking out about Batman because he had written a, a, some milestone issue of Detective I think whatever happened to the Cape Crusade that's correct okay and Anyway, so in the audience was Dan DiDio, who comes to me backstage afterwards, and he's like, hey, you should write a Batman graphic novel for us. And I said, okay, well, but don't say that unless you really mean it. And he said, no, I really mean it. And just, you know, follow up. So the result was death by design after, after a lot of, but I, and I had a lot of editorial guidance from um, Mark Chiarello. Was my was my editor on the project, and uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm very proud of it. It's 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 got a lot of flaws, I know. Like after it came out, I'd sent a copy to um, David Maskelly, yeah, who then and I have it gave me this like this five page critique, and I. Which, and it's, and he's spot on. He's absolutely spot on. And I felt like an idiot, because it's like, why didn't, I should have sent him the script before, <laughs> before any of the drawing. And um, anyway, I forget what all he said, but I've been reading this thing and I'm like weeping because A, because I hold David Mazzucchelli in the highest regard and I published um, Mysterio's Polyp and hopefully I'll publish whatever he does after that. That was you? Yeah. Damn. Yep. And so, it was just funny, because I thought, oh, shit. I mean, I I would have loved to have gotten this feedback ahead of time. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, it's wordy, and it it was it was going to be, um, 
and again, we're talking about death by design, Batman death by design. Um, the initial concept was it's going to be two issues and then combine it into one. And I think it was taking so long for Dave Taylor to do the art, which I totally understand. Um, if you look at the art and how gorgeous it is, it's understandable for him to take his time with that because yeah. you can't rush a perfection like that. Yeah, no. And it, and it, so I guess they just thought, you know what, let's just get the whole thing done and then publish it at one book. But if you, if you read it, it's very clearly in a part one and a part two. Right. Um, and it, you know, this, it was supposed to be a cliffhanger ending and all this kind of thing. We, we have an audio engineer, so he, like, he'll be doing the editing. Sorry. I, it's all good. I should have timed it better. And I'm not just saying this because he's going to hear this. He's really good at his job, what he does for this. He uh, actually has like little things, like when we're at conventions and we do interviews and stuff like that, he actually grabs, uh, he has like a preset already made, so when it's convention audio, he can level it out perfectly, and it sounds like our levels are right there. That's amazing. Yeah, he's really good at what he does. And like... I had to, uh, when we went to go uh, for Endgame, Eddie couldn't make it, my uh, partner on the show. So I said, hey, you want to go see Avengers Endgame before everyone else? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so he got to see it, you know, with us for the uh, screening. And we're walking out of the uh, theater and he goes, there are so many people on these streets that want to know what we know right now. I'm like, yes, they do. All right. So what did you think of it? Endgame? Yeah. It's very hard for me to say something like this because Guardians... So, Guardians Volume 2 is my favorite out of the MCU, right? Because as a... The second movie? As, like, a kid out of, like, a broken home and everything, like, watching that with the whole um, element of, like, Star-Lord and Ego, wow. it, like, hit close to home. And, like, I'm seeing things. I'm like, wow, that was my childhood, but with more Fleetwood Mac and lasers. So, you know, they... It, it was... It worked. Wow. Endgame surpassed that. And it reached the number one spot. But in regards to all-time comic book movie, Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is a masterpiece. Like, I, I've listened to, like, Kevin Smith's review of it. And, like, he made one comment. And I'm like, yes, you're absolutely right. When the Comic Code Authorities thing pops up, and I'm just like, I'm with my people right now. Like, they understood it. They showed respect to the source material. It was just so damn good. I need to see it again. I, um... I saw it in a theater in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I forget what they call it, but it, well, you're too young, but do you remember this thing called Sense Around? Yeah, like the, uh, with the audio? Like well, but this Dolby? was, I don't know what they call it, but you're in this tricked out seat that like moves and, it, and there's- Well, like 4D kind of. Yeah, and you know, rocks back and forth and, and that's how I saw Spider-Verse, and, I, and I, oh, I'd like to actually, I mean, you can't, I'd like to see it again on the big screen without all that, yeah. because it was really weird. It's like being on an amusement park ride or something. Um, yes, I very much, I very much appreciated it. I mean, talking about Marvel movies that somehow touch the personal experience you're going through at the time, for me, that was, that was very much Infinity War, right. um, which, you know, not to bring down the room, as it were, but... And, uh, John, real quick... Sorry, uh, Chip, but, like, we're real quick. We're keeping all of this stuff in, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying... Any, if I say something that I don't want, I'll say, well, off the record. But, right. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, this is all fine. Um, but that year, 
going into, well, 20, no, it was what, 2017 going into 2018, um, I was taking care of my husband of 22 years who was dying of cancer and working on Marvelocity at the same time. And it all culminated in that April, right? Yeah. He died in April, got the book done and out to the printer shortly thereafter. And then Infinity War comes out. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, grief, loss, death, and Marvel Comics. Wow. And it's like, that would, that's been my life for the past year and a half. Yeah. And I was just crying and crying and crying. And, but, um, it, it, but it also, and I've seen it so many times now, um, it's such a good movie. Yeah. It's such a good movie. And, and you know, let's see, how do I want to bring closure to this? I... I, I, it touched me in a way, but beca- very much because of what I was going through in my own life. That Endgame kind of didn't, because, and we all, you know, you know that they're all going to somehow win. Now, you know, they throw in the couple of deaths to make it hurt. Maybe not Spider-Man as of late, though, but... Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, Infinity War for me was just a really amazing amazing experience and it's so there's so many levels to it the, the whole 9-11 aspect of it yeah with, is, with the snap well it's... yeah but th- for me the 9-11 aspect happens very early on with the big giant rotating yeah with um, the uh, black order I mean I don't know what it's called but it's it, it's um it, it's uh, it's Thanos' ship, or one of them. This big, giant wheel that's rotating. Right. That's the tower burning. And and then the way they frame that experience from Doctor Strange's uh, townhouse in the West Village, where they hear this rumble, and they look out, and then you see you see on the street people are running and smoke is coming and and to me that was the 9-11 aspect not the snap is something else entirely I can see that absolutely and the thing about a lot of the Marvel movies is even like the the Fox movies that are Marvel they find a way to connect to a lot of people like you look at Logan and there's so many emotional reactions people get out of that movie especially and Hmm. the biggest one was was uh, Professor Xavier in that movie and on the show, Eddie has mentioned in the past the connection with Alzheimer's and dealing with a loved one that has that, and it does affect you, and you can leave that either in a positive, like, they understood my situation, or it could be like, you don't know how to react to that after, you know? And that's the power of great filmmaking in general. And, yeah. And great acting, and especially great writing. And, again... Not just because we're the Marvelists, but because they do such a great job in regards to writing these films. And Kevin Feige has his hand in there, and there's the quality control. And 
it's funny because I've said on the past, like around the time of uh, San Diego this year, the announcements of Phase 4, I was underwhelmed with the announcements when you see Shang-Chi. I, and I was Thor. too. I was, my reason was it was characters that I already, like, or announcements of things that I heard like five months earlier. I'm like, oh, two weeks ago I heard about Thor 4, so why do I care? But when I saw, like, the announcements, it took a few minutes to soak in, and I was in uh, on a train heading back, and I was going on my Marvel Unlimited account. I was getting Blade comics. I was getting uh, Thor Ragnarok, or not Thor Ragnarok, but Thor the Jason Aaron run to read because of the Jane Foster stuff, which that's going to be a very intense thing that they're going to do because I know what they're going to go with, and it's going to be the Jane Foster cancer story, and there's no way around that, and that's going to be the storytelling aspect of Marvel and how they can do it, you know? And like I said... It's funny, I go, I'm underwhelmed, and yet I'm like about to consume like 9,000 new things. I'm like, I kind of want to read Shang-Chi from the 70s, even though they're not that great. It's so bizarre. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Uh, he was like the master of Kung Fu, and they have his, I guess, I. there's going to be some Shang-Chi fans out there who listen to this show that are like screaming at me, but I believe like Fu Manchu is involved, and I, I think he's like his father or his like a villain or something in that. That's all I know, but... They're not very politically correct in 2019, mind you, but they're finding ways to, like, you know, do these stories, and like I said, I want to read these stories, I want to check them out, and I don't know, I think... So what do you think, okay, obvious question, might even be moot by the time you air this, What what's going to play out with this whole... With our favorite webhead? Yeah. Well, as of right now, there were rumors going on saying, and this is the recording on August 24th, but D23, they might be announcing that there's going to be a seven-picture deal. That's what I've seen as a rumor, like Sony kowtowed to Disney, who there's so many people that are blaming Sony. Both sides are at fault, in my opinion. And that's, again, not just as someone who loves Marvel, but it is true. Both sides are at fault. Sony for saying saying, you know, then we'll pull out of this deal, and Disney saying we want 50%, from 5% of, pro, you know, profits to 50%. That's a big jump. But, it's their sandbox, whatever. But Do you think they don't deserve it? <sighs> it's one of those mommy and daddy are fighting right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm just quietly sitting at the dinner table enjoying the meatloaf and just going, huh, you guys work it out. I'm going to go upstairs and listen to some records. <laughs> but the rumor right now is they're going to do the 1980s. Like, the next trilogy is supposedly going to be Spider-Man is an Amazing Friends with Firestar and Iceman involved. And that's how they could introduce the mutants. That's the rumor, and this is, like, they found a way to appease everything. But they is who? Uh, it's Sony and Disney together. Sony and Disney together. Well, okay, so, but they're not together. Eh, to quote the Mandarin... Or to paraphrase the Mandarin, they're there, but they're not there. They're there, but they're not there. It's very complicated. But I, I don't mean, know. I'm hoping we get Spidey back because Holland has knocked it out of the park in regards to this. I totally agree. He's, and I've said it on a trillion episodes of this show, even though we haven't recorded a trillion. But if you listen to the show a trillion times, then it counts. <laughs> but <laughs> the idea of, like, Holland is the perfect mishmash of everything. He's the perfect Spider-Man. Geeky, awkward, shy. And then you have, like, these Spider-Man. But he's Spider cute. Yeah, and he, he has that 
he has like that element of innocence to him that you don't see in other characters. Of, you know, yeah, no, Toby, Toby Maguire's hooded eyes are not innocent. <laughs> well, we actually had Ron Friends on, who used to do Thor back in the day, and he made the comment, he's like, you know, Toby was okay, but his he had the hair parted the wrong way. I'm like... Yeah, but that's not his fault. No, I know that, but I'm just like, that is such a, a very minute detail that that could like set someone off with, they got it wrong. They got it wrong. Like We have a bald uh, Jonah Jameson now, which... Sure, but at least it's at least it's JK, you know? And I'm not saying just kidding for the people at home who love acronyms. But <laughs> but I just love the idea that he even has the Queen's accent. I love that. Because no other Spider-Man has had that. It never ceases to amaze me when really good British actors ace American accents. Because it almost is never the other way around. I like Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange, although he kind of falls into a little bit of a Hugh Laurie. Some, a friend of mine had once said, he's trying to be house, he comes off his garage door. I'm like, you know what, I can see that a little, but I like his but accent. house is perfect. Yeah. I, mean, I never even made that connection, because I never watched house, but I know what it is. He, he definitely has that, you know, Hugh Laurie-ish kind of accent, but still, again, how Marvel can make you care about characters that you otherwise wouldn't care about. I care about Doctor Strange. I never cared about Doctor Strange. Maybe the Ditko stuff because of how cosmic it was and how you know trippy it was. But otherwise, I'm like, eh. Doctor Strange is in my, is like in my top five favorite MCU movies. That's very hard to you yeah. know get into that echelon. Yeah. And it's funny because Phase Four, we don't even have a new Captain Marvel announced for that. So in regards to making people care about characters they otherwise wouldn't want to care about. That's where I'm excited about Phase 4, you know? And I am a little bummed out that we also, in order to understand some of this, you have to watch six-episode TV shows a lot of the time now with Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, which is kind of the dumbest name I've ever heard for a TV show. What is it? It's So they're doing a show with Wanda and Vision together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> and it's called WandaVision. It sounded like you said Wandavision. See, I could see that as... Wanda starting a Joy Division cover band. And the love will tear them apart. Again. So. One of my favorite bands, by the way. They are so good. Them and, uh, I love Love and Rockets, by the way. Just, it's not the Marvelous unless we shoehorn music references in. So, somewhere Eddie Wilson's ears are perking up and just going, I raised him right. He's not my father, but he's, he's like a father. He's like my Tony Stark. Just without, uh, Without a charred gauntlet. Any of the smarts or talent. Oh, I, oh, he's got the talent and he's got the smarts. So I got I don't it. even know who we're talking about, by the way. He is a delightful man and he is a delightful podcast partner. Okay. So, Eddie, you owe me $25 right now. No, ha 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 ha. That joke did not land whatsoever. But I digress. And in regards to... Um, I'm, I'm curious. You had said you're, you're as well underwhelmed with the Phase 4 announcements. Mm-hmm. Why is that for yourself? Well, first of all, I mean, you've got to give these guys and gals and everyone credit. Like, and I, as I say, because the, the sort of realms that I operate in, both socially and professionally, and I, I feel very privileged about this. I've got the whole fandom thing, but then I've got, like, the, quote, serious literature thing. And then sometimes they intersect, and what, what I've been telling 
friends and colleagues that who wouldn't go to a Marvel movie if you paid them. You know, I, I'm like, no, you don't really understand. Like, this is unprecedented in the history of cinema. Yeah. It, has, it doesn't even have to do... I mean, it does, but it, it's not about the history of comics or the history of superheroes. But this is a history of movies. Yeah. You pay attention to movies. Nobody has made a series of 23 films in 10 years that all interconnect and are truly compelling storytelling for all different kinds of reasons. And I'm not saying they're all great, but you know what? Most of them are. Yeah. And here's the thing. Even the quote-unquote terrible ones, like a Thor The Dark World or Incredible Hulk. Thank you. They're still good. Thor The Dark World's my favorite Thor. Are you serious? I am quite serious. So you know who the villain of Thor The Dark World is? Is it? You do? Mal- who the villain is? Yes. That's a, that's a little game on our show. Whenever someone says they, you know, they Thor The Dark World, it's Malekith. Whatever. But it's always that it's... We, we had a conversation, Eddie, on our show. He's very positive about almost every single movie. The worst review he gave for a movie was on our recent worst of the worst versus the worst. So we did the worst DC movie versus the worst Marvel movie. Okay, and what did you come up with? So we did we did what most audiences say, Howard the Duck versus Catwoman. And <laughs> as I'm saying this, I still have not finished Catwoman for my review. So we did that, but Eddie gave it the lowest rating of any movie. Out of five, Eddie gave it a two. Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World got a three from no. Eddie. Or no, four out of, from uh, Eddie, well, I believe. he's wrong. There are two things that make that movie quite extraordinary. Well, several, but um, but the two things are Loki, Tom Hiddleston's performance. He's a rock star. He's and, so good. And the whole way they handle Thor's their mother's death. Right. All of that is done so well that the the worst aspects of it didn't bother me. Although I really liked weird concepts of, of wormholes and how you you know they're they're in London and you drop something through a thing and then it comes out in Asgard. I loved how they did that, but there's there's just that one scene where Loki's in his glass jail or whatever whatever it is and it appears that he's quote fine and and this is in my memory I haven't seen this movie in a while but I just remember being so affected by it and then Thor has to basically tell them that their mother is dead and it, and Loki seems to frankly not care. Thor exits, and then the illusion is dropped, and then you see Loki is suddenly slumped in the corner, everything's a mess, and he's devastated. And it and, and it's clear, like, well that but that's the real thing. Before it was the illusion that he didn't care. Right. And it's so moving and so touching. And then the way they do the whole thing with the 
just the whole ceremonial thing with all, all of the ships with the fires and going out into the bay. But I thought it was I thought it was incredible. Now, for myself, I didn't care for the movie, and I when I did my original review, I did you know I was like, eh, it's my least favorite, blah blah blah. However, with Endgame and how they incorporated the movie into it, and what you just said. I've been wanting to revisit that movie for a while because I feel like I did not give it a fair enough assessment and, you know, a fair viewing, you know? So I'm definitely checking that out again. I'll tell you one thing. In my opinion, it's a hell of a lot better movie than Captain Marvel. So, I liked Captain Marvel, but it was just the... It was, as I said in the review, it's just an average Marvel movie to me. It's just... It's there. And I feel when that movie came out, there was a lot of references up to the 1990s, and they were so shoehorned in. And I, but I just wanted, I don't know, like, I feel like they were one step away from going, hey, Carol, you want to play some PlayStation 1? Or something like, I don't know, but just well, something like that. I mean, there was that, that didn't really bother me so much. I just felt it was so by the numbers, and it was, there were no, I mean, no real surprises. I mean, okay, yeah. the cat, but no. I did love the cat. Really, yeah, but that wasn't a surprise. And um, you, it seemed whether or not they intended this, it was. It seemed like a reaction to the fact the one thing that DC scooped Marvel on was female superhero movie. Yeah. It's like, like, well, we may have fucked everything else up, but we did Wonder Woman. Yeah. And we did it a year and a half before you, bitches. And, and I, so this was like, well, yeah, but we can do it too. I thought, to be honest, I thought Wonder Woman was a very, for DC, it was an average movie. I did enjoy it. I thought it was their best movie. Okay, so here's a question. Why do you, do you know because I don't. Why was that set during World War One? I? I want to. So I've speculated this. I feel like that's their response to Captain America. It's you know they started as a period piece, but also I'm thinking they're doing it in that era so they can have her movies, all of them, be period pieces. Because the next one is going to be 1984. So, Which also doesn't make sense. But yeah, and. I mean, I'm fine with where they're placing those movies for them because they're good at doing those kind of movies. Like, the director, she's, she does a phenomenal job in those movies. Just like, my thing is this, and I saw this with Captain Marvel. I saw both movies, Captain, Amer or Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman with my mom. My mom is actually my uh, MC, my movie-going buddy. I go with her all these different movies, take her to these. And one of the things about it was watching her leave Wonder Woman and watching her leave Captain Marvel, she was beaming the entire time. She's just like, she kicked so much ass. No, wait, like beaming from which one? Both of them. Both of them? Yeah. Captain Marvel, she, she of course, she's like, a, you know, because I'm a cat dad and she loves cats. She passed that, that gene on to me. She goes, I love Goose, but oh my God, Carol kicked so much ass. Like, I real at that was at that moment I'm realizing this movie isn't for me it was for her you know what I mean like she's been waiting for this kind of movie to see and I'm like yeah I, I understand that but like for me Captain Marvel was 
it was average. It was, again, by the numbers. But I feel like also for her, she's like, she's the general movie-going public, you know? Although general movie-going public really loves, uh, and I say that with air quotes, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. No, they don't. Uh, you should see hashtag release the Snyder Cut. That's a fun one. Those... I like DC. I really do love DC as, you know, a day one DC Universe member. There's so much about it I really enjoy, but... Well, not, not quite. There's, there's only two movies out of those movies, by the way, that I've really enjoyed, and that was Captain... Um, I mean, uh, Wonder Woman and Cap... Or Shazam. I was going to say Captain Marvel for that one, but... And you should. Shazam is just a damn fine masterpiece of a comic book movie for DC. I'm the bold one saying that. <laughs> Chip's reaction was delightful just now. Yeah, no. <laughs> Especially when it turned into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the all-inclusive episode. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, d- I did love it, though, because it, for me it felt like... I, I said it, and they did. They just did a... They shoehorned in the reference to it, but it was big with muscles. You know what I mean? Big with muscles and superpowers. The Tom Hanks movie... It was totally that. Right down to the point where he plays the muscles. Gig- yeah, where it's, you know, Captain Marvel or Shazam. He's like, I got muscles. Oh. And for, oh. The, for the audio oh, big, audience okay, at home. Big with my, okay. Yeah, so it was right down to the point where they did the piano scene where he's dancing on the piano. Well, yeah. But for... Maybe I shouldn't have said masterpiece because once again, it, I'm reflecting back on that statement. But, but you've seen my Captain Marvel book, right? I've been wanting to get it. I've seen... I've thumbed through it. As a Captain Marvel purist, how do you so how do you feel about the movie then for that? I thought it was an almost complete disaster. Like really? like the okay. only thing that I appreciated was that they bothered to make it at all. Yeah. Um and again, you know, this your thing is about Mar the real Marvel. I mean, I could go on for like an hour about this. Um They used the great line, Billy Batson, you are pure of heart. That Billy Batson was not pure of heart. Yeah. He was a little shit. He was a shit. He was a liar. And I didn't didn't blame him. I liked the character. I liked the actor. But then leave the pure of heart bit out. Because he's not. That's true. But that's so... That concept is so important to that myth. Like, yeah. You get this sort of... uh, Um little kid who's not looking for this but who needs it um I thought the seven deadly sins or enemies of man or whatever you want to call them at, just as pieces of design were indistinguishable yeah they all could have been the same thing I like the original C.C. Beck design like where they're like goofy looking like that era of those comics, I love the C.C. Beck run of Captain Marvel, and I oh, wish sure. they would re-release that. Like, I know it's available, it's quote-unquote public domain, narrator. It is not. That, when you no, find it's not a, public domain. They've, I know it's on one public domain comic site, but I'm like, how has DC not shut them down for that? I realize I'm, like, drawing attention for DC to shut them down, but at this point I'm also like, well, I already have them all downloaded, so I'm not going to say anything. I mean, I don't. I liked about the Shazam movie talk about something else but I liked the concept that in like once the big villain shows up and is after Shazam 
slash Captain Marvel, the best way for him to hide from him is to turn back into Billy Batson. Yeah. Because the villain doesn't know about that. And so the couple scenes where they played on that and worked on that, I was like, yes, because, you know, if you're Billy Batson and you can say Shazam and be this god, why would you ever go back? Yeah. Why, why would you ever go back? And especially Freddie Freeman. Oh, I want to go back to being a poor, crippled child. You know, that was a... For hiding, is perfect. But for hiding, it was great. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that, that works. You know, you're in the department store and the I mean, blah, he does, blah, blah, blah. He does have to go back to being a kid so he can get, you know, his high school diploma. Because he might need, you know, because Shazam, his qualifications are what? Muscles? But I also really... I hated the idea that um, Shazam was still Billy. Yeah. Because that was so interesting to me as a kid. It's like, Billy Batson and Captain Marvel, they're not the same people. Right, the personality. They talk about the other one in the second person. Yeah. Not the first person. So Captain Marvel talks about Billy, and Billy talks about Captain Marvel, and yet they shared some kind of, you know, whether this was, whether they thought this through when they were making the the character, it's the it's a very interesting, bizarre concept. It's yeah. like, are they interdimensional or what? Like, it's it's, and yet the other knows what the other is going through as they're going through it. Right interesting but they're not the same person very important there was a part in the movie that I feel it would have been perfect for like a Deadpool movie and they used it in this movie instead do you remember the scene with Savannah flying up in the sky and he's yelling something and he's like about a mile and a half away and he's yelling and Captain Marvel says back I can't hear you you're talking I see nothing you're just talking that would have been perfect in a Deadpool movie just the acknowledging breaking the fourth wall for something like that and or not really bringing forth wall, but you know, just that acknowledgement of one of the many tropes of those kind of movies. And I'm shocked that that's was utilized in that, but not <laughs> something like that. And in regards to just like the characters, like these characters, how timeless they are. It's still it's insane to be able to see that 80 years since like Batman, for example. You know, who is part of why. A lot of us are here as fans, you know, with you with your Batman quote unquote obsession, according to the uh, the placards. It's true. It's they're timeless, and I've had conversations with friends about this. They're modern day mythology, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's why I, with Alex, that's why I, I called the first Alex Roth book that I did with him on the DC stuff. I called it mythology, and I was that was two thousand and three. I mean, it was a what, 16 years ago? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, at this point, that's that's not even... I mean, everybody... I think... I don't know. I think people really... They've sort of gotten that for quite some time. Yeah. What's really amazing to me is just how all of these characters have captured not only the American imagination, but the global imagination all over again. It's really, really something. And I love how timeless these characters are, because timeless and how well-ingrained the storylines are in our collective pop culture subconscious. 
everyone knows the or or the origin story of Spider-Man. Everyone knows the origin of Batman, and we're starting to get now characters, you know, that 25 years ago no one would have known. Like, I I'm a man with a Star Lord tattoo, which is a bit much. Yes, I realize that, but there's a story behind that. But um, I don't really want to know it. it. It's an interesting one. It's a positive one. I uh, used to weigh 330 pounds, and cosplay was like my uh, impetus of wanting to do it. So for three months of my life, Star Lord was uh, the end goal. I got to do it. The pants look terrible, though. But here we are. Okay. So yeah, that I have like a little helmet because of that, like the three months of my life. But the idea of uh, like these characters, Star Lord is a household name now. Yeah, it's amazing. insane. The one though that like for me, my big go-to one, Groot. Mm-hmm. A a one-off villain in a horror comic. I think it was Tales to Astonish or something. But yes. that character just shows up and he's he's a thing now. And I'm not talking about the ever-loving blue-eyed one, but it's like, Groot's a name. Rocket Raccoon is a name. And a friend of the show, John Gorga, who runs Carmine Street Comics, we were talking about it one day and he makes the comment of when they were doing orders for Guardians of the Galaxy merchandise when the movie was about to come out, the first one, he's like... Oh my god, Disney's about to make their biggest gamble with this. They want us to sell Rocket Raccoon stuff and this and that. And like, what if this movie sucks? And Which it was a perfect... Yes, but it was a perfectly valid question. Because, you know... I didn't... Gal- Guardian of the Galaxy, what the fuck is that? I didn't, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't even know. The 2008 um, run is great, but like the earlier stuff with the guy who's got a really wide head and then Ving Rhames played him in a movie... Eh... It's what movie? Uh, he was in Guardians Volume Two. They the original Guardians. But wait, Ben Rangs played him in what movie? Uh, Vol- Guardians Volume Two at the tail end of the movie, when they have the uh, Ravagers funeral. Oh, that he's supposed to be. I want to say Johnny Ninety Nine, which again, nineteen sixties characters. Some of them really had terrible names. Johnny Ninety Nine. He was the ninety ninth Johnny. They finally got him right on the assembly line, and just so many of these characters are just. Yeah, it's it's funny that these names and these characters are becoming household names, and yeah. it's weird, but it's cool. And with, uh, I'm trying to think, there was a point to this. Somewhere along the line, the point was lost. <laughs> I have to find the pencil sharpener. That must be a first in your podcast oh, series. Oh, you have no idea how many digressions <laughs> and just long ramblings there have been. So what else do you want to talk about? Well, in regards to Marvelocity, how did that come about? You said that Alex came to you. Yes. So, um, way back when, I mean, I was I was a fan from the very beginning, um, and, and 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 again, like I'm not like a Marvel guy, but when the Marvels series came out, oh God, yeah, boy, I really sat up and and paid attention and bought it and I was just dazzled by it by it, like everybody else and then Kingdom Come came out I was a huge fan and there used to be a comic book art gallery in Soho called Four Color Gallery do you know about that? I've heard of it okay so long since gone but they did Alex Ross shows uh, uh, back in the beginning. So, like, fans knew, but that's it. 
And that's how I met him. Um, and then, I don't know, somehow... Oh, I okay. So, um, back in those days at DC, there was what's called the Licensed Publishing Program. And so, most of what I've done with them is through that. And there's an editor there named Charlie Kochman. Do you know him? I No, I don't know. Oh, he's amazing. Um, Charlie Kochman. Um, who is now at Abrams and his, frankly, his biggest claim to fame is he discovered Jeff Kinney and wow. the Wimpy Kid. Discovered awesome. and championed because Abrams didn't want to publish it. Whole other story. You should talk to him. Um, and so Charlie became editorially friendly with Alex early on and we started talking and we're like, hey, Let's do an Alex DC art book. I mean, I brought that into Pantheon, and it was just, it was really exciting. And we got M Night Shyamalan to do the intro, uh, and and you know, blah blah blah. And and it was it was a great hit, and I loved it. And I wrote the text and designed it and worked with Alex on it. And then. 13 years later uh, I was turning 50 and my husband said what do you want to do for your 50th birthday and I said there's more than you want to know but I said I want to go to Chicago and I want to I want to have dinner with my friends in Chicago Alex Ross Chris Ware, Ivan Brunetti, and this guy named uh, Dana Arnett, who's an amazing graphic designer, TSA, VSA partners, and this guy Saul Ferris that I did the Bat Manga book with. And we did. And so at dinner, and Alex disputes this, but he's not here. He turned to me and said, would you ever want to do the Marvel version of mythology? And I said, yeah. <laughs> it's the same team. You know, uh, my friend Jeff Spear, who's a photographer, same format. I'm like, oh my God, yes. But at that time, okay, so that would have been 2014. So much had changed, and so this meant, of course, dealing with Disney. The mouse that roared. Or something. <laughs> or ate up the universe. Literally. Disney now owns this conversation, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Oh, but yeah. Well, that, ex that explains the, the uh, ear-shaped satellite I'm seeing above us right now. And it just was awkwardly going, huh, huh, like every five seconds. And then there was a gorsh. I don't know why. That was uh, uh, somewhere. And suddenly there's a white glove on my right hand with big fat fingers. And we lost a finger. That's so weird. Each hand lost a finger. But we still got our thumbs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this set, the idea of doing this Marvelocity book set... Penguin Random House and Disney on a collision course to try and figure out how to make this happen. And for two and a half years, 
it's a book. It's not a fucking movie. Come on. Yeah. But it, it really, and the and my colleagues at Random House, i.e. the legal team, were amazing. Because I gave up. And they're like, no, 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 no. Don't give up. We'll figure this out. And then six months would go by. Because, I mean, Alex has a full plate. I had a full plate. And it's like, look, we want to do this. But there's no way we're going to start doing this before there's a contract. Right. And so it just took forever. And and then in the meantime, again, TMI, in the meantime, my husband gets diagnosed with cancer and the contract's approved. Right. And, and so at that point, Alex, who's like the sweetest person in the world, he said, you know what? And Alex knew my husband. He's like, if you just want to walk away from this, just walk away from it. And, and he said, you know what? And then it's just not going to happen because I'm not going to do it with anybody else. And my husband, Sandy McClatchy, said, uh, he said, no, you, I know how hard you've worked on this to even just get this to happen. Now it's going to happen. You, you have to do it. And so it sort of went on from, from there. But it took so long to make it a thing. And, like, it was longer in the negotiation than actually making it. Um... And it was, you know, it's complicated because the, the amazing thing about Alex is he's been working so long and so hard and so proficiently on both of them. Yeah. DC Marvel and, of course, then Dynamite Entertainment, too, and, and all this other stuff, too. So you have to wrangle... I mean, for me, as an editor, art director, designer, you've got to wrangle close to 30 years worth of work, or 25, or whatever. But, you know, it's like, okay, we've got to start at the beginning. We've got to cover marbles, but you've got to do it in some kind of way that doesn't feel like you've seen it 10 zillion times. And then take it through, and then he's constantly working so... The longer it took to actually make the book, the more there was for it, because Immortal Hulk, Spider-Man, and then we culminated it with um, his Fantastic Four proposal, which is so great. I need to. I still need to check the book out. Like that's been on my list of things to check for a while. What Marvelosity? Yeah, oh. I need to read it. Yeah, I mean, and for and one of the big incentives for Alex, which I totally get, is like he gets stuff rejected. So it's his, which is absurd. It's absurd, and the and the and the the Fantastic Four proposal is so great. It's so. I mean, I, it's just and and the move like the movie people if they don't like follow this, but they, they may or may not. But it's. It's like, yes, it's total pop art, 1969, and literally one of um, Alex's great heroes is, is Reed Richards. Yeah. And because of the way, like, he's he's a family guy, he's a genius, Alex is a great dad, loves his family, 
and I think he connects to that concept of, of like you have to you have to take care of your family, but you got to exercise your superpower. Yeah. And make everyone happy, and fight Doctor Doom, and figure out a way to defeat Galactus, and you know, etc., etc. Anyway, so the the his Fantastic Four proposal ugh, is part of the ending, and then we got we. We got to do a 10-page original story, which he already had figured out, except, because, you know, we did that with mythology with Superman and Batman, and I said, okay, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I've just always wanted to do this, it's just Spider-Man taking on the Sinister Six. And I said, okay, and what happened? They were sinister. He beat them. And I said, well... So you haven't seen this? No. Okay. And so he explains the whole thing. And, it's, and so it starts out... And of course I'm not giving anything away because the book's been out for a year and a half. So... Or no, close to a year. But it starts out with Sinestro has called a meeting of the other villains. And they're like, well, why have you called us here? And that's the splash page. And then you turn it, and he takes off the helmet, and it's Spider-Man. He's like, I called you all here. And he doesn't say it this way. I forget what the dialogue is. He's like, so I can kick your ass. Wow. Which he does. And as he should. And I said, all right. But here's the last page. The dialogue starts to devolve into what sounds like a child. Okay. And then we pull back and he leaves. And so in the story, Spider-Man leaves the Green Goblin for last. So in the upper left it's of the page, it's, it's Spidey Green Goblin as by Alex, then you pull back and it's Mego dolls. And then you pull back and it's a child holding the Mego dolls. And then you pull back for the final time and it's Alex at age eight on his stomach oh, so watching cool. Spider-Man on the electric company on the TV with the dolls. The creepy Spider-Man, by the way, that's Electric Company Spidey is so creepy. Yeah, but see what we have to say about that. We do two whole pages on that. Because that was his introduction to the characters. Right. Not the comics. Electric Company. We're going to turn it on. We're going to give you the power. We're going to turn darkest night into lightest day in a whole new way. Going to turn it on. Wow. And again, you're probably too young. I do... I'm a, I'm a Jim Henson guy, so like the history of the children's television workshop and then delving into all of the rest of PBS with uh, Electric Company. There was another one. I forgot the name of the other show. Offhand, I gotta, I'll got i look it up later. But Zoom? Yes, Zoom, because they ended up bringing Zoom back in the 1990s. I was a weird kid. I looked into the history of all these things, so I retain a lot of information. I was obsessed with Zoom. I wanted to be a Zoom kid. They did. I just I remember they made a remake of that. And, yeah. 
But wow. So that's so a- so then then the ending of the story is that this was all a fantasy by and then and then at the end it says sinister six years old that's so cool i like that my idea nice my idea (laughs) you showed alex he gave me credit and you know what he took the direction because because i said otherwise i mean yeah it's gonna be awesome but it's not gonna be special right and it needs to be about you. It needs to be about you as a kid, and this is what you would have wanted to do and see. And anyway, it's just it was great. A, it, 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 and it's a fun twist ending that you would not see coming. Like Quicksilver yeah. getting shot repeatedly. Why? Wow, they didn't see that's coming. That was a <laughs> terrible Eastern European accent. But <laughs> <laughs> so, oh shit. Um, I think it's about time I we need wrap, to wrap this up. I, yes, I'm sorry. I, it, it's really fun. Um, Chip, it was an absolute honor. I, yeah. And uh, so oh, you have five more minutes. Is there anything else you want to ask me? How are you? <laughs> oh, man. Chip, once again, it was an absolute honor. And Thank you. You have an open invite to come on anytime you want. Just hey. FYI. Let's. We'll see. Like, if I ever end up writing something for Marvel, I'd be, be happy, nice. to, happy to do it. So, I think this is about going to wrap it up. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Chip Kidd. And Eddie Wilson's not here, but... Whoever that is! I, you know, I'm starting to think he doesn't exist. He's all, he's all like, my imagination. Yeah, right. He's, my, he's your little friend. He's your imaginary friend. For Eddie Wilson... <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> Nuts said. <laughs>